Heini, pee, Heini, pee, Heini, pee. Wajani wina, Jankishina, Hini Karagi wina. Hanachni pee, Harajara wee, pee, gee, Wawanangshana. Iji Karek Jawi. Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic this January morning, and I sincerely hope all of you are doing as well, or possibly even better. What was so much going on in the world today, I just thought that maybe, maybe we could spend a couple of minutes together and discuss what is going on in our little part of it, and see if we can't make sense of it, and possibly discuss ways on how to improve upon it. To each and every one of you who spend a little time listening to this podcast each week, I thank you very much. Time being our most precious commodity, I sincerely appreciate you spending your capital with me. If you'd like to get in touch with me, ring me up if you have my number. I'm in my office pretty much all the time, and I'd love to conversate with you. Leave a message if I don't answer, and I'll hit you right back. Now, if you don't have my number, fear not. We can still communicate. My Gmail address is moneycucksick at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-A-K at gmail.com. I'm excellent at returning emails and texts quickly, so shoot me a message and I'll get back to you. Finally, I'm active on the Chipotle Facebook page, along with Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So I was cleaning out my closet the other day, and no, I didn't find any classified government documents, thank you. I always turn my documents in at the end of my term. What I did find was a pamphlet titled Separation of Business and Government, Looking into the Future. It had the great seal of the Ho-Chunk Nation on the bottom left, slightly off-center, and at the bottom of the page was printed in what I can only assume is Academy-engraved lettering, were the words Ho-Chunk Nation Legislature. Now, the document is only four pages long, and is broken up into four sections. The first being overview of key factors in successful separation. The second being various structures. The third being the Ho-Chunk Nation Legislature's effort. The final heading titled Consideration and Advantages. Now, I remember this pamphlet was handed out along with uh, other informational brochures that were uh, being distributed at the General Council. I think we were at the Alliance Center in Madison, but I'm not entirely sure. I think I may have to consult with the official Ho-Chunk historian and see if she remembers. I do remember that a lot more information was distributed back then, along with a lot of worthless swag. I remember this because I was privy to a conversation between a legislator and a tribal member. The legislator explained that the legislature's plan at this time was to separate the nation's businesses, with the exception of the casinos, which at that time was pretty much all the businesses, and government. So this document coming out at this time would have been an attempt by the legislature to secure and sway the general counsel's support on this idea. I believe that this was at the was in a time frame of the genesis of both 12 clans and the Beloit Casino and the Linwood project. Thinking back on this time frame, it was uh, a pretty heady time for the nation. So much hope, so many ideas. So what was in this document and what happened? I'm going to read the document verbatim. 
because I think it's a uh, it's a pretty good document. Um, we'll start with the overview of key factors in successful separation. As detailed by leading experts in the field, a substantial amount of research has been done to determine what impediments exist to creating long-term sustainable economic development on Indian reservations and to identify the factors that lead to significant progress on some reservations. Most tribes are committed to improving the economic welfare of its people and at the same time are concerned that this might not be done in a way that diminishes that that this not be done in a way that diminishes their sovereignty. The Harvard Project on American Indian Economic Development has found that a key factor to achieve economic self-determination is to have institutions in place which promote self-governance and to provide a political environment in which investors feel secure. Indian reservations have to compete with other venues to attract economic activities. To be successful, tribes must offer investors the opportunity to earn economic returns commensurate with the returns they, they, might, they might earn elsewhere. Investment dollars have to come from somewhere. Investors' risk is raised if there is an uncertainty in tax and regulatory policies that apply to on-reservation businesses or transactions. Risk is also raised if there is uncertainty regarding the enforcement of contracts or agreements. The Harvard Project has identified a number of success factors geared to create a political environment that promotes sustained economic growth by providing a safe environment for investors. Such an environment helps investors, whether they be tribal members or outsiders, to feel secure and willing to put their time, energy, and capital into the tribal economy. The first critical factor is for tribes to have a separation and allocation of governmental powers. This can be accomplished through formal or informal government structures. The second critical factor is the separation of tribal elector electoral politics from the day-to-day -day management of business enterprises. This relates to the government role that tribal governments often have in development projects. Tribal governments should have a role in strategic decision-making. Strategic decision-making. However, one argument is that tribal governments should not make the day-to-day -day business decisions of tribal enterprises. Maintaining this separation can be difficult for tribal officials since enterprises and its assets belong to all tribal members. However, not insulating tribal politics from tribal businesses can create an uncertain and risky business environment for investors and business partners. Political instability, the possibility of opportunism on the part of tribal officials, and the difficulty in enforcing agreements can discourage investment. This can place tribes at a competitive disadvantage for attracting capital as well as technical and management expertise. Inserting politics in the day-to-day business decisions can drain the resources of the entity and run a tribal enterprise into the ground. This type of government governance will result in inefficiencies and loss of productivity that is difficult to absorb in a highly competitive environment. Successful businesses in Indian country are typically insulated and their day-to-day -day business management is free from political interference. 
The Harvard Project found that tribally owned enterprises that are insulated from political interference are about four times as likely to be profitable as those that are not. Four times. The way tribes have insulated business from politics has ranged from traditional culture-based separation of power to legal or tribal constitutional limits to the establishment of separate tribal entities and managed businesses. Insulating tribal business entities from political interference is accomplished by establishing a managing board of directors and a corporate charter that is beyond the direct control of tribal council members. Businesses require a stable operating environment, while management need to make decisions in a business environment. The creation of a tribal business development corporation or other business entities separated from tribal government can provide a number of advantages. All right, let's go on to the second. Various structures. There are important forms available for two tribes for organizing a business entity. An important consideration is what law and regulations will govern the formation and operation of a corporate entity in Indian country. Businesses, business entities can be formed under tribal law, state law, or federal law. The choice of law and the type of entity selected will have consequences on issues relating to tax, financing, and sovereign immunity. It will also influence how tribe can manage, maximize risk and liability. Because tribes are sovereign, they can form a government entity to perform business functions. The entity can be an, in can be an instrument of the tribal government or a division of the tribe. Tribes can also form a separate business entity under tribal, state, or tribal law. Now, this next part I think is kind of interesting. Um, the Ho-Chunk Nation's legislature's effort. All right, The effort to separate business from government has been examined in part through the years by the Ho-Chunk Nation. More recently, however, the legislature has intensified the focus of this process in order to enhance the nation's business operation. Through a series of meetings, discussions, and analysis, the option under consideration at this point is the Section 17 Federally Chartered Corporation. In our case, that would have been 12 clans. This provides a structure and framework to maximize economic development opportunities for the nation and its memberships. Unfortunately, we had a sovereign wealth fund, a passive one. But... We still had it. It also separates some of the business nation's business operations from the nation's government structure so that they can be free to focus on business without political interference or the bureaucracy of the tribal government. At this stage, a Draft 17 charter is being considered. Many tribes conduct their commercial activities through federally chartered corporations formed under Section 17 of the Indian Reorganization Act. To form a Section 17 corporation, a tribe must petition the Secretary of the Interior for issuance of a corporate charter. A Section 17 corporation provides a framework by which a tribe can segregate tribal business assets and liabilities from the assets and liability of tribal government. It also preserves the integrity of the decision-making process of tribal government officials by separating business decisions. The Charter will define the powers of the corporation. 
Several courts have held that Section 17 corporations are covered by the tribe's sovereign immunity from suits. Tribal corporations formed under Section 17 have the same tax status as a tribe and are not subject to federal income taxes for income derived from on or off-reservation activities. And that's pretty important. Okay, finally, we wrap it up with considerations and advantages. For many years, the Ho-Chunk Nation has discussed the importance of and need for improving its businesses and economy. And this is true. We have talked ad nauseum about this, and we have barely budged a needle. Back to it. The nation has realized the needs to diversify and develop additional business entities, especially in non-gaming areas. To that end, the nation has taken several steps over time. For instance, the General Council adopted a resolution to support the separation of business and governments. Well, we all know what happens to resolutions from the General Council. Additionally, the nation's officials and business leaders have analyzed various methods and structures for optimal business development. This includes analysis of the most successful business, successful tribal structures. Well, we have so many of those for to choose from, it's kind of ridiculous. But along the way, the nation's tribal membership has been involved and expressed their views through focus groups and meetings. And we still are with 12 clans and the um, well, I'm a fourth world design group. Consistently, a primary feature of successful tribal business operations is that they have separated business from governments. This means taking politics and government bureaucracy out of the operation of business. The ultimate goal is to make the tribe and its membership more secure in terms of having a reliable tribal economy by creating more sources of revenue and employment to rely upon. There are various options and structures that tribes use to separate business from government. Some may be more successful than others, and some are better fit for tribes than others based on the unique organization of their government. Any effort to separate business from government will be guided by a motivation to optimize success. All right, so there was the separation of business and uh, governments looking to the future pamphlet that the legislature handed out. So it's strange, but whatever was in the water at the time, the legislature was giving serious thought to a separation of business and government. A somewhat muted separation, but it was a start. But that thought died somewhere deep in the bowels of the legislature. Today, the Beloit Casino is still being dragged along in a publicly humiliating fashion. Our bid for a casino in Linwood died an ignominious public death. And our Section 17 attempt hasn't quite lived up to its billing or expectations. Now, to be fair, recently the Wuhan virus came along and reared its ugly carcass and kicked the world's economy straight in the face. This must have scared the bejesus out of our government and everything and anything that was planned was jettisoned in lieu of survival. Now, Ho-Chunk member John Warder wrote a doctoral thesis entitled The Mule in Indian Country. He explains what a mule is, a hybrid 
that cannot reproduce. Well, some indigenous nations have separated their business from government and our horses, running fast and strong. Some indigenous governments produce donkeys, not too pretty, not too fast, but consist consistently pulling their weight. Each of these entities can and will produce and work far into the future for their people. The results may differ, but there will be positive results. The Ho-Chunk Nation, on the other hand, was looking at that mule and saying to everyone, What a beauty! Here's our future as we stroke its mane. That ugly beast can't reproduce. It's destined to work for a while and then die. Even when our legislature tells us that they are separating the two, business from government, they don't fully commit. I hate consistently pointing to our neighbors and saying, look, it works. The proof is their continued success and growth and our consistent floundering. We were so close to capturing a horse back then, but no, we settled on that mule. And the key word here is, we settled. To all of our people running for office and to all of our present legislators, don't be frightened about giving up what you consider power and responsibility. When the legislature published this pamphlet, they must have had an inkling about doing the right thing for our nation's future. Put the nation's businesses into the hands of professionals whose only goal is to produce revenue for the nation. Careers and jobs are created in this fashion. Careers are what our young people are craving. We as a people are well past that jobs mantra. Our young people want careers. Look at our, our own government. It's just a continual reshuffling of individuals going from department to department, government position to elected official and back again. Because those are the only places where our educated feel their skills can be used, where they can quote unquote help their people. Now, if we separated business from government, our businesses would, by necessity, offer challenges more commensurate with their education, and we wouldn't have this constant churning. There would be careers within the business entities that challenged our educated Ho-Chunks and offered the opportunities and compensation that they are seeking. There would be competitive compensation for our people and just as important, tax revenue for our nation. Come on, legislature. Separating business from government is the right thing to do for the nation. You know it because at one time you advocated for it. Good morning, everybody. I am lucky to have our current president, Marlon uh, White Eagle, uh, with us today. And so, um, Marlon, could you introduce yourself real quickly, please? Yeah, my name is Marlon White Eagle, uh, currently the Ho Chunk Nation president and also a candidate for uh, Ho Chunk Nation president seeking a second term. Uh, um, you know, Ho Chunk. Uh, meaning uh, standing on a white cloud. Uh, so 
yeah, that's that's who I am. Well, thank you for that. And I just very first thing I want to get out of the box here is why do you want to run again for president? Yeah, this was that was a long determination. You know, I started thinking about it probably in July. You know, the beginning of the uh, fourth year of the term, and you know, really heavily debating. You know, it's a obviously it's a it's a tough position. Uh, you have to take a lot of uh, heat, and you know, you one thing I learned probably in like the first one or two weeks of being president is that, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy. And I think that's one of the tendencies that people always want to make everybody happy. But, you know, even in life, you can't make everybody happy. So so that was one of the things I learned was, you know, take it as a full, uh, you know, similar to sports. You know, we see the, the Badgers or Packers and, you know, they lose a game, a game that they probably should win. And then people kind of throw their hands up and, you know, oh, the season's over. But there's, it's a, you know, looking at the long game is what, what's important. And so knowing that, you know, I'm here close to the end of a one term. So I feel like, you know, that, that success and uh, having the uh, pandemic, you know, I was recently at the, uh, White House Summit the, uh, uh, the, over in uh, Washington, D.C. and talking with other tribal leaders and they were like, you know, yeah, every tribal leader should get a uh, another term or a reset. You know, we see that in uh, NCAA football and, you know, sports that people are getting extra time for eligibility. So I felt like, you know, the pandemic did, you know, not so much getting away, but, you know, it, it happened, and so I think doing it, having another term would be, uh, uh, would help me to get some of the things done that I, I wasn't able to get done, and, you know, and we built, we built some uh, progress, and, you know, kind of just want to see that progress move forward, so that was the main reason for wanting to run again. Well, thanks. Um, one of the things uh, we do on this uh, podcast is all new uh, people that I interview, I like to have them um, tell us who they are, who their family is, and a little bit about their education. So if you could tell us, um, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm sorry, we have a couple, we have new listeners who don't know. So if you could please uh, tell us a little bit about your family, who you are, and uh, something about your education, I would sincerely appreciate that. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I grew up in the Baraboo area. Uh, my parents were Morgan, Morgan White Eagle and Marie White Bear uh, White Eagle. And my dad, he was uh, he was uh, one of the uh, founding members of the traditional court of the Ho-Chunk Nation as a Native American church kind of representative there. Uh, that was a uh, kind of an invitation from some of the traditional leaders at the time to include the, the Native American church in the traditional court. And, you know, they uh, obviously they selected him to do that. So he was, uh, he was a uh, uh, man, he was a 
great spiritual leader in in my eyes. Uh, so that was my dad, and then uh, my mom. She was uh, uh, white bear. Her her parents were uh, John, uh, no Joseph White Bear, and uh, Norma Hall White Bear. So she's from the Black River area. Obviously, a lot of the halls are um, her relatives, and you know, not to go too deep in, but they they uh, they had uh, five children, you know, older children, and they lost them all in a house fire. You know, this was probably like the late '60s, and you know, through through their belief, they uh, they had. Uh, you know, obviously they buried the, the five children, and then uh, they had another. They had another five. You know, uh, God, God saw that they would have uh, five more children, and that's where I kind of fit in there. You know, uh, have two older brothers and uh, a sister, older sister and a younger sister. I'm the seventh son of Morgan and Marie. Um, I kind of talked about my mom's parents. Uh, my dad's parents were uh, Floyd White Eagle uh, and uh, Sarah Snake White Eagle, and you know they were they were really uh, uh, specifically my Choco Floyd. He was really uh, uh, instrumental in the the formation of the our tribal government. You know, a lot of that occurred at the Native American church there in uh, Highway 12 between uh, Wisconsin Dells, Linden Station. And then, you know, from my memories, he lived right up the road there, you know, just like not the very next property, but the property, well, like one one uh, lot over from the Native American church. So he was he was down there, you know, he was a. He was a regular there at the church, and uh, just growing up, you know, knowing him and uh, seeing him, and then kind of as I grew, learning, learning some stories about him. It was uh, he was, uh, uh, I would say, he was well received, and you know, was a really good part of the the community in the Dells area. So that was my Choco Floyd. And um, in terms of my uh, education, uh, I was uh, went to school in Baraboo, graduated from Baraboo, Wisconsin. Had uh, did all of my uh, schooling there. That was one of the things my parents wanted to do was not have us, you know, move around too much. So completed high school there. Joined the Marines at uh, what was it like? 16 as soon as i was able to sign up i joined the marines i already had uh, my brother mark and joe were already in the marine corps and you know had other brothers uh uh andrew my my mom's sister andrew rave and shannon rave they were marines uh, uh my brother pierre decora he was in the marines so there there was a kind of a crew of us there from the baraboo specifically holchuk village that you know all joined the marines and uh, obviously, my brothers Shannon and Andrew were up in Black River Falls, but uh, so that was uh, the education there. You know, uh, joining the Marines, and then in the Marines, I learned you know the 
the value of education and how we would need that to, you know, uh, succeed, you know, have a little more success in life. So I went to uh, uh, Miracosta College, you know, out of the Marine Corps and then uh, transferred from Miracosta to uh, San Diego State. I was uh, a television, film and new media student at San Diego State. And then uh, some years, I think it was right about 99, my dad had a heart attack and, you know, subsequently he had a kind of like heart failure and then he had a heart transplant and then uh, we had him probably Fourteen, fifteen years, you know, after he had the heart transplant, and you know, these were years where you know I dropped out of college and went home, and you know, spent a lot of time with my dad. In in terms of you know, learning some of the the culture, some of the uh, you know, the, obviously the Native American church, and you know. Just kind of gaining some spiritual strength, I guess, some spiritual knowledge, and that was that was really kind of life changing for me. That I had had that time, and you know, made that decision to you know not complete my college degree, and but learned uh, you know other some other education other than you know formal uh, you know the formal education at a you know four year institution. So that was kind of my education, you know, a liberal arts degree, and then uh, just a lot of uh, uh, hands-on work with the nation, uh, working as a summer intern. The education department did a uh, summer internship, and they, you know, they discontinued it and then recontinued it, and I believe they're still doing it now. But uh, I would come home from San Diego State to... uh, to do uh, work for the summer and, it, you know, 300 bucks a week for a number of weeks in the summer. And so I started working with the language division of the nation and, you know, worked with uh, uh, late uh, Kenny Funbaker uh, Sr. at the language division. And then other leaders there were uh, Gordon Thunder and Willard Lowtree, you know, that uh, were all you know, leaders of the language division during the time that I was there as an intern, as well as uh, uh, as a, a regular worker. You know, after I after my dad had that heart attack, I moved home from San Diego and uh, went to uh, work you know, full time with the language division. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the education. There's a little more to it. You know, on the business side, I went over to the Ho-Chunk Convention Center, and then uh, met my wife, Amanda. Uh, she was, uh, at that time, she was a tribal judge, you know, in the judiciary, and, you know, started getting a little more serious, and then moved to, uh, at that point, I moved to Black River Falls, and then uh, took a job with the education department, so got to see the ins and out of the education department, and then, uh, from education, you know, one of the reasonings for me, not only my wife Amanda in Black River, but also I was, you know, looking at working within the uh, the tribal 
newspaper, the Ho Chunk Woduck, and then you know eventually took a position there as a reporter, and then eventually as the editor of the the paper. So that's kind of the long, the long short story of the education side. Well, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, all right, let's get into um, why you're running. This is going to be your uh, second administration, and uh, as you pointed out, the uh, virus kind of put a halt on everything. But um, can we look at some of the accomplishments of your uh, first administration? Um, I guess, you know, one of the big things was the uh, implementation of uh, Inferlawson. Um, could you kind of bring that up for everybody so we kind of know exactly what that was and why is that why was that important yeah yeah sure uh the infer lawson was a uh it's our foundation obviously we have uh uh you know millions of dollar, dollars to account for and that we had a software that we used and it was probably purchased it, the format was like a 1980s software uh, it was called it was a manufacturing software called AS400 and it was fast fastly um, being unsupported and you know uh, becoming obsolete and they had a uh, uh, you know there's various other softwares to use the nation chose to go with this infor loss in software um, after doing research on it you know, there was a company Infor, and there was also another company named Lawson, and they merged and they became Infor Lawson. But it's a, essentially it's a, a, a they call it enterprise resource planning. I believe that's what uh, ERP uh, enterprise resource planning, and so it's supposed to. Uh, one of the things, one of the major points from what I was told is that we were unable to. Uh, produce reports in a timely manner or in a uh, efficient manner with with the AS four hundred because that's a lot of you know F four and you know those type of navigations through the through the uh, database and the the new software was a little more uh, modernized and you know obviously it's had its uh, it was a little bit cumbersome to navigate as well, but essentially, you know, we could produce reports in a, in a more efficient manner, which was uh, one of the things that we needed to do with the financial information. It's, you know, how do we digest that uh, financial information? If we prepare a report, you know, what are we, what are we most interested in knowing or learning about, you know, whether, we're gaining more profit, losing profit, or, you know, getting into the nuts and bolts of business, you know, you want to be able to take that financial information and use it to to make decisions. So I think that's why uh, the software is important that uh, we're able to have reports and then, you know, uh, make, you know, real-time decisions with, uh, you know, important financial information, you know, the financial health of the Ho-Chunk Nation. But uh, I would say that that was a uh, important step. You know, it was uh, established, purchased. You know, it's a probably a 
I think in the recent email, it was like a $7 million purchase, you know, and I think the prices just kept going up as the implementation was uh, delayed or whatever the purpose of not having it implemented and kind of going full bore on implementing it, that uh, the price tag would just increase. Um, but, you know, coming in, you know, I, I was aware of it and wanted to uh, make sure that we got it done. And it sounded like, you know, a lot of the employees were just dragging their feet, you know, whether it was a fear of losing their job to, you know, some type of technology, but, you know, that would, it's going to also free up time to do other, other things within the work area. And, you know, we made it a priority, you know, through the treasury department, the, uh, you know, personnel department still, you know, doing their best to implement and use use the software to its fullest capabilities. You know, we should be able to apply for a job, you know, strictly online without, you know, the paper uh, application and resume and all of that. We, so that's where we want to get to. But, you know, for now, we have it completely uh, um, implemented. And uh, like I said, it, it was you know, started in the, the John Greedier administration was when it was purchased, you know, it, it, I guess in the perfect world, it's supposed to be implemented within a year. And we went through, you know, that, I don't remember the timeline, but it went all the way through the uh, uh, Wilfrid Cleveland administration without any kind of real traction or real implementation. And, you know, we just made it priority and got it implemented. Now we're able to, uh, you know, have a fully functional, uh, supported accounting software to to uh, generate reports and for for the nation. Well, that sounds like it's something that uh, we really, really, really needed in terms of infrastructure. Um, and I'm glad you guys pulled that off, brought that forward. Um, another thing I wanted to get to was um, you've been a proponent of trying to wrangle the legislature into getting them to, you know, abide by the separation of powers clause of the Constitution. Uh, I think you're one of the first presidents to publicly challenge the legislators. Um, are the lawsuits you filed against the legislature all about the separation of powers issues? And do you think this is something you'll continue? Yeah, I believe so. I, uh, by and large, uh, you know, I think that was one of the things that, you know, obviously running a campaign uh, to be to become the president, you know, I talked about uh, transparency and accountability. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, tried to, I don't know if you'd say, try to throw it back at me and like, I'm supposed to be most transparent and most accountable. But I'm, you know, what I was speaking about was the, uh, the adherence to our laws, the adherence to our, our our tribal constitution, and that's you know what what I did, uh, or that's what I attempted to do with some of the uh, you know one of the things as the uh, newspaper editor, I always heard people saying, "Oh, they're the legislature and they can do whatever they want to do," and you know when you hear someone say it, you know obviously they probably believe it, and then. Uh, 
and then they're going to allow it, you know, to happen. So that was one of the things that I was aware of that, you know, well, nobody's above our law or nobody, you know, should be able to do whatever they want to do, you know. So that was, uh, you know, that was in my mind, you know, when I'm thinking about accountability uh, as well as transparency, you know, that's, you know, we're in a budget season right now. And, you know, I think as all those years, you know, four years ago as tribal newspaper editor and, uh, uh, you know, going through the, the presidency, you would think I would have seen a, you know, uh, legislative budget. I have, I have yet to see a legislative budget. You know, I see the resolution, you know, I think the years I remember there was no, they kind of just throw a, a number in like, Oh, we have a number somewhere and we'll throw it in the resolution later on. And it's like, you know, that's not the completely transparent. So those are the things I talked, I, I meant, you know, for people that, you know, were like, you know, you need to be accountable. You need to be transparent. You know, it's no, the, uh, the government itself needs to be accountable and transparent. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, I guess there's a lot more I could say about that in terms of, accountability and transparency and how we can achieve that but that's a that's a long process well transparency i'm, I'm kind of glad you mentioned that because you your administration you started by putting out uh, youtube videos and you have uh, running commentaries on the wodak um you've done a couple of podcasts and you've initiated a series of listening sessions so in terms of transparency i think you're getting out there to the people um, how has that been received in your eyes? Uh, I would say, you know, um, like I, said, I think the one thing to say right off the bat is, you know, everyone's not going to be happy and everyone's going to have a, a opinion. And then the manner of which they share their opinion is going to be a whole other, whole other thing. And that's one thing that I found, you know, with, uh, tribal members you know you find a way to you know communicate and then uh when it works for you 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 resort to that communication method so a lot of times you'll see you know i think of people kind of getting louder pointing the finger you know it's not uh you know somewhere along the line that worked for them and then they continue to you know, display that method of communication, but, you know, they can just, uh, talk at a, at a normal, <laughs> normal conversation level. And, you know, uh, so that's, that's one thing to point out right away, you know, and that's what, what I've been saying with the, with the listening sessions that, you know, if you need to swear, go ahead and swear. If it makes you feel good, you know, that's one of the things that I've, I've, been you know just on a personal level kind of learning how people will communicate and why they communicate in the manner they do and uh, and then learning how to extract that information from there is you know one of my own personal uh, kind of education in you know how do you how do you become a better communicator and that's uh so that's really interesting to me, but, you know, by and large, you know, the listening sessions have been good. Uh, I think 
one of the things I know that are, you know, we put a lot of value in our tribal elders and I feel like, you know, again, coming from the, uh, the, oh, the Wodak, knowing that, you know, a lot of the elders will read it, uh, every word front to back and, you know, they just want to have that, you know, paper in their hand and learn what's happening, you know, in that means. So, uh, I just I think it's a way to there's no one way I guess that's in, and I've been uh, saying this quite a bit in you know in the you know writings in the paper as well as in the listening sessions you know uh, at the last general council you know I mentioned that you know we're going to be doing monthly listening sessions and we've we've done that uh, we're going to be in Madison uh, I believe January 18 and. Uh, so we're we're out there and we're we're listening and you know obviously the listening portions are uh, very important you know we want to know what everyone has on their mind and we want to be able to provide uh, uh, answers for for what they feel that the nation should should be doing or could be doing and having the means to to accomplish that so. So it's a uh, it's a learning process, but there's no one way to communicate with everyone, and you just have to try every every method, and then uh, uh, remain diligent at, at doing that. And you know that's one of the things that I tried to do was you know writing a, a letter in the paper. Each each issue of the paper uh, is uh, you know sometimes it's challenging, but you know it's uh, it's a way to communicate with, with, you know, in that manner, you know, specifically to some of the elders that, that have the practice of reading the paper each, each month. And, you know, they look for it, you know, sometimes I get word from, from people at some of the elders and they're like, Hey, you know, you didn't write anything for, uh, what are two, uh, issues here? You need to keep doing that. So it's, you know, I, I hear them, you know, I hear that, you know, whether it's phone call or email and, you know, then I get back to the practice, you know, sometimes I get, I get a little lazy too sometimes. And, but also I can also get busy, I guess. So maybe it's not lazy, maybe it's busy. And, but I try to hear them say that, you know, some of them even say, you know, Hey, you should, you should be wearing a tie or you know, <laughs> something of that nature. And it's like, okay, you know, you want you want me to wear a tie? I'll wear a tie, especially if I go to uh, uh, Madison or you know interact with our our state and federal partners. So so it's all it's all uh, challenging and I guess rewarding too at the same time. What are um, in terms of your campaign goals from your first campaign? How do you think you did? And what are you kind of most proud of during your first term here? Uh, yeah, I think uh, by and large, you know, there's, uh, I feel like one thing, you know, uh, I hear about your your podcast and uh, listen to it and hear what, what the topics are. Uh, I think that's one of the things is that your, your um uh, your, I guess your your podcast here serves as a uh, maybe an example of 
getting the discussion louder to produce more involvement in the tribal government that uh uh that you know the existence of your podcast i feel like you know um also uh, also uh does the same thing in terms of you know wanting more involvement uh so that's what i feel like that's what i uh campaigned with is uh you know having that understanding of what the government's for why we have it and how we can use it to to make all of our you know our lives better you know for you know obviously we're here for economic self sufficiency as well as uh uh you know our housing needs our healthcare needs and our our training and job needs our education you know i remember doing one of the uh annual reports and i was like man you know we the nation really does does a lot and you can kind of lose sight of that when when you don't participate and you know all it takes is a uh you know a trip just outside of wisconsin and then try to uh seek some of those uh tribal services and then you kind of realize like oh wow you know we do we do quite a bit and you know we're we've always been working towards the goal of you know uh having each of our tribal members be successful One of the um piggybacking on that as you said you were um going outside the state um is the battle right now for kind of separation of business from government. We look at um other uh indigenous nations and we see how successful they are and the things that they're doing. In your next term, how can we implement this separation and do we have business goals? to uh kind of help us help the nation along yeah i think you know if we can get our our section 17 the 12 clan inc to uh and i feel like they've repositioned themselves pretty well to to uh you know to fulfill the deed the original intent of what we wanted to do was separate business and government that's why we had the uh i think that was the Roth. Rothschild uh, special general council that uh, the formation of the the section 17 occurred and and then from that point it kind of got uh, sidetracked or derailed and then became the sovereign wealth fund that you know it was a uh, it was just an investment uh, investment house for lack of a better word but uh you know, it was going to be throw some money in there and then this money will uh, take, you know, 20, 30 years for a certain type of dividend to be uh, uh, distributed to the uh, shareholders being the, the tribal members. And now they've uh, they've uh, they've uh, redone, reworked their uh, their uh, bylaws 
I believe that's in their bylaws, but uh, their uh, strategy, and now they're they're willing to take on uh, some some of the other, you know, I guess the uh, the management or the the business model that that we wanted uh, to to separate business and government, and that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier in terms of, you know, you think about. Uh, I guess government in general, and you think about uh, how uh, um, taxation is kind of viewed as a as a bad thing. But you know that taxation is kind of like the I think of uh, uh, my uh, uh, Mike Salloway, the uh, executive accounts. Uh, no, not executive accounts. Uh, executive administrative officer and he's always talking about skin in the game and you know uh how you know you have to make some investment into something to you know then you have skin in the game but that saying is you know the taxations the skin in the game where you know we had all these years of uh of per cap and you know i guess the only the only skin in the game we had was you know that we had we were enrolled and uh i guess there was actual skin or you know maybe more <laughs> blood we had a certain blood quantum and that was the skin in the game and there was no but there was no uh value placed on uh what the skin in the game meant and you know i think that goes back to the involvement participation and you know knowing how the how and why we have a tribal government um, but yeah we have skin in the game you know that would be one of the things so i've been writing about that in terms of 12 clans you know try to do these baby steps to you know say hey you know let's let's sign over you know obviously it's an asset and something established like our c stores and then uh have them manage that and then we can we can see the benefit of having them uh, manage it. Maybe the employees are happier. Maybe they're getting paid better. And then the nation would uh, get a, I think when we crunched numbers, it was like a kind of Chicago land taxation level of like 15, 17% to, uh, to fund the government, you know, where it currently was at the time that we, we crunched the numbers. Um, and, you know, obviously we would open the door for, uh, tribal members, you know, to, uh, to, uh, uh, I guess hang their shingle, if you will. Uh, you know, we would have law offices that could be available. We could have, uh, uh, private medical practice, dental practice, you know, uh, Whatever tribal members wanted to do, we would open that door for them to operate, you know, in uh, on tribal trust land, and and then uh, be uh, be a part of the tribal economy. So it's really kind of starting our tribal economy, and then building a tax base to run the tribal government off of the taxation, and then you know our current system is you know. Casinos, enterprise, generate revenue, all the revenue goes back into the general fund and then it's redistributed uh, in the annual budget 
by the legislature and you know it's I do uh, actually I heard it from one of our uh, former staff uh, he talked about you know it's kind of like a however you want to say it boyfriend girlfriend vice versa that somebody's out working and the others uh, 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 couch surfing or what have you and then you know, come payday, the couch surfer is like, hey, where's the check? Hand the money over and I'll give you, you know, 40 bucks for groceries for this week or whatever they whatever they determine. And then they keep the rest and, you know, however they spend the money as a couch surfer, you know, buy more Cheetos and video <laughs> games or, or what have you. And then uh, uh, it's not a good a good practice. You know, the one earning the money should be you know, deciding, making those financial decisions, but that's the opposite of how, how we are. Um, or it's not, I guess we're probably structured the right way, but the practice has been uh, uh, legislature would, uh, would determine that. And, uh, and it was a, they, you know, it, from the appearance of it, I'm not sure if it's accurate or not, but from the appearance of it, it is like, uh, you know, a one for you, two for me, one for you, five for me, <laughs> kind of kind of a distribute, di- distribution. And, you know, and we've seen that, you know, with the, uh, uh, the uh, you know, CARES and ARPA, we did a lot of uh, infrastructure into our IT because, you know, again, the years of probably last 10, 20 years, you know, hearing IT go down and say, hey, we got, a, a, you know, a 4 million, 5 million uh, capital project for, you know, new computers or, you know, some software or updates or something. And then they get shot down and that's like, that's part of the of uh, operating uh tribal government is we have to reinvest in it and i would say you know i guess going back to your question of what what have we some of the success and that's probably some of the success is that we kind of went from uh expense tracking mindset where uh where you know it was like eh, that's not really a, a need it's more of a want like you want up-to-date software or up-to-date hardware and now we're kind of like no we it's like a we need to reinvest in ourselves and uh, and we kind of kind of more of a, a financial mindset of you know we need to reinvest and you know we're seeing it right now with the, the Beloit project in terms of you know we want to take care of the uh, existing casino properties and pay them well and you know have decent food uh um options and you know that that theory where you know we're going to spend a lot of money on a new casino and you know these people will be being paid well and they'll it'll be the picture perfect scenario when the other others fall behind and you know they're you know they're just kind of lose sight of that now that you bring it up, um, that was one of the ugly things that kind of reared its ugly head here is um, the retention of employees and competitive wages. 
Now we kind of, I don't know if anybody saw that uh, in the past, if our legislature didn't see that, if our uh, businesses didn't see that, or if the office of the president didn't see that, but it was uh, really, really bad because we can't hold employees, we can't hire them simply because of the competitiveness of the market now. Um, going forward, uh, how do we how do we deal with this? How do you deal with this? Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, I did go back and look at some of the, uh, you know, obviously I want to uh, campaign on something that I can work towards, but I did read one of the campaign uh, things that I had in the, uh, the whole Chuck Woduck in the past, you know, and one of the things was ca uh, competitive wages. And uh, that's kind of one of the things that I seen was that, you know, uh, we didn't have a really uh, onboarding uh, method that would kind of, what's the word, like, uh, cre create the work culture that, that we desired. Instead, it was kind of more of a, well, you got your tax deductions done, you got your direct deposit filled out. You know, you're in the time and attendance and there go to your department, whoever hired you. And there was no uh, there was no building of a work culture. And that's one of the things that uh, that uh, we're trying to work on now through the, the uh, they have this uh, comp and class. I think it's compensation and classification of uh, so they go through comprehensively and go through each department and each uh, division and do a uh, uh, evaluation of each job. And based on that, they update the information and then they they can increase the pay at that time. And that's what uh, personnel is working on currently. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to, to change is that work culture. We're trying to establish that work culture and then uh, build upon it where I think in the past it was sort of, and we still kind of see it today where it's like, you know, Hey, you're, we don't like employee B or tribal member B tribal member employee B. So we're going to, you know, cut them out of the budget. That was just a bad, a bad practice, you know, internally. And we want to get rid of that practice and, you know, one of the listening sessions, uh, I went in and explained everything, and they were like, hey, uh, we thought you came here to tell us something. I'm <laughs> like, no, I'm here to listen to you. Like, I want to know how how I can make uh, your, you know, we want you to come to work and be happy. We want you to look forward to coming to work, feel safe at work. And they're like, oh, Nobody's really done that before. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, through the day, you know, halfway through the day, we did two listening sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, over lunch, I was like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we're, we're kind of like, a, you know, again, it's that whole separation of business and government. On the government side, you're a president managing uh, services through departments. On the business side, you know, we have the enterprise. And then I viewed that listening session there as 
know, hey, you know, part of the role is, you know, you're a CEO of a of a multi-million dollar uh, enterprise and you need to know what what your uh, frontline employees are thinking and what their work environment is like and you know that's what we were taking the time to do and that was uh you know sort of a uh eye-opening you know i think that's why i didn't really know why i wanted to do the casino employee listening session and the tribal member listening session i think it's maybe it was just a some type of a respect thing for each of the employees you know like there's always a little bit of contention on you know the employees are accountable to the tribal member that type of mentality and it's always seems like especially like holiday time you know when employees uh whether they get a christmas bonus and then tribal members get a christmas bonus and then if there's any discrepancy in that that amount of uh of a bonus then it turns into like you know at least i hear you know that tribal members are like you know why are they getting you know they're non ho chunks and they're getting money or they should they're getting more than us or less than us or whatever that we should get more and they should get less or you know it's always a you know almost a uh biting the hand that feeds you type of uh 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 contemplation there but yeah it's uh it's uh it's been interesting to go out and listen to to the employees and they they provide a lot of information that that helps you know make certain decisions so well did i answer the question (laughs) (laughs) kind of sort of in a roundabout fashion but um let me bring this really quick uh really uh back real quick um you're running for a second term so can you tell um, everybody what are your goals for the next term? What do you see in the future for the nation? Uh, I, I think I see, uh, you know, like I was saying, that work culture, you know, that's one of the things going out was hearing that, you know, hey, we have our, and a lot of these are employees that have been with us for 20 years plus and they're saying, you know, it used to be a desired place to work. And the reason was we had good wages and we have great insurance. And I think how we're holding on to these guys is that they have, you know, they, they don't want to uh, lose that insurance. So by us continuing the insurance is uh, is keeping our long-term employees for us but to add that add that reputation of we pay well and we insure well and then that's gonna uh, uh, help create that work culture and then uh, so that's one of the things is you know developing that onboarding creating that work culture of you know of job security and uh, another thing and this was a pre-pandemic uh, thing that we looked at was uh, this 360 review. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but it's essentially your, let's say you're a mid-manager 
and you have your annual review, you know, annual job performance review, and you would be reviewed by people above you as well as people below you and how you interact with them. And I don't remember if it was a visit, but there was a tribe in Michigan that implemented that. They went from, uh, you know, we have the, uh, uh, we used to have the grievance review and, you know, anyway, it's a workplace uh, resolution, you know, like a complaint process. And I feel like we've done a really good job. That's probably another thing that we've accomplished was, I think we cut down on the number of, uh, it used to be like, wrongful termination then they go to court and it's like a ten thousand dollar you know if you win it you get a ten thousand dollar uh, settlement and then they take taxes out comes out to like six or seven thousand um but i think we cut down on those so um so that's one one of the things that uh we want to work on and then just to continue the work with uh uh um with the implementing that separation of powers respect and then, you know, learning the lanes, you know, I feel like, you know, boy, we took this on in 94 and we never learned uh, uh, what each branch was, was there for, you know, and that's still one of the things, again, back to participation and, and uh, uh, knowledge in what the government's for and then, having that general council branch uh, meet and then set those uh, set those uh, policies for the nation. I think that's just been railroaded for years and years and it got to a point of uh, lethargy. I'm not even sure if that's the right word, but people don't care about attending general council only for the, you know, extra 150 bucks and a, a day to see everybody, but there used to be a lot that we could get done there, you know, with, uh, uh, for the nation and kind of setting the, the direction and the, the way we want to see the nation run. And that hasn't, hasn't happened here, uh, for a little bit. And, you know, it's, there's, we can only improve on, on that practice. Well, we're kind of, running out of time here so i'd um, like to give you a couple minutes um for any last thoughts anything i didn't bring up anything you want to talk about um floor is yours all right all right yeah i think uh you know from what i've what i've heard that you know we have uh i believe it's nine candidates for president this this go round, and i'm not sure if that's you know, I don't even know if we keep record of if that's the most candidates we've had in a while. But, you know, I think that participating is really important and then understanding how and why we exist as a government and then the, uh, the functions of each branch of the government is really important. You know, uh, we're seeing a lot right now with the, the whole chunk uh, judiciary you know there's a lot to be said in terms of uh, sovereignty and what that sovereignty means 
how sovereign are we? You know, I think we all have opinions on that. And I think there's, um, there's steps towards, you know, strengthening our sovereignty as well as, you know, the uh, so-called bang for our buck in, in what we spend the, the tribal dollars on. I think those are, are, you know, because those are probably up for debate, but, you know, like our, you know, thinking about our police force and then our tribal court, and it seems to be a lot on the legal side of the house where, where, uh, you know, it's kind of, is it worth it? You know, when we have a, a judiciary that, uh, you know, they're there to interpret the laws and the constitution, and we have a lot of gray area in the laws and the constitution, you know, that, and I think that's one of the things that I've seen quite a bit is that, you know, these, uh, I don't know if you would say, uh, I guess longstanding uh, uh, employees of the nation, you know, that uh, they kind of want to operate in that gray area and then it ends up becoming a, a, a court filing and then the court filing ends up you know, taking a lot of time where, you know, some things can happen behind the scenes that, that, uh, that ultimately, you know, kind of waste our tribal dollars. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that, um, is really, really needs to be, uh, clarified is those separation of powers and then what what is the goal what is the purpose of investing our tribal dollars in a police force in a judiciary in uh you know like this year we're we're planning to uh uh, uh get a uh the department of agriculture off of its feet or onto its feet um for the first time, you know, the, the general council wanted a department of agriculture legislature created, I think it was in 2016, that department of agriculture, uh, establishment act. And this year we want to, uh, put forward a budget for funding that department. So, you know, I think the government's really slow in a way, but also, um, with that slowness, there's a lot of opportunity to um, to exercise more sovereignty, and I think that's the goal with the, the agriculture department. That you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, I would say interest as well as opportunities for for a job market, and I think that's one of the things that ties us ties us down or holds us back from, you know, building this tribal economy is that, you know, we see the the lucrative numbers from the, the gaming side of the house with, you know, in a bad, bad year, probably 40% return on investment in, you know, in a good, decent year where, you know, 40, 50, you know, upwards to 70% return on investment. And then, we have to, you know, hustle and do our best and be the most diligent to 
get a return of, you know, five or seven percent, you know, with C stores or, uh, you know, cigarette sales and, and yeah, it just really, it really, uh, distorts the view of, you know, what we really want to do is just be a part of the community, create some jobs and stay in the black <laughs> when it comes to, uh, revenue and tribal dollars. So I think, and then build on that sovereignty uh, as uh, uh, representing the nation. And I think that's what what the, the president does for the nation is represents the nation. And, you know, that's kind of why I want to uh, uh, continue the job of representing the nation as, you know, uh, seeking reelection. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, once again, that's... Uh president marlon white eagle and um enjoy the rest of your day thank you very much oh yeah thanks shelby really do appreciate uh you uh providing the opportunity to express a little little uh, the uh, kind of thoughts on the nation here as a as a candidate as and seeking re-election so really appreciate it thank you all right and have a good to, day uh, to each one to each one, you know, and I know Kikukui, when he get up, we thank you for listening to me. <laughs> Have a good day, sir. Yeah. Well, by this time, I'm sure everyone has gotten a hold of the unofficial list of candidates. Nothing really surprising in the list for any of the positions. I think, uh... What I'm looking forward to is if any of the candidates coming out in favor of the separation of business from government and transparency in government. I keep pounding the drum on both of these issues, and as of yet, our present legislator, legislature, is fighting tooth, fang, and claw in their refusal to address either of these issues. What strikes me as odd is how 13 individuals who want what's best for their people refuse to address what's best for their people. How long have our people advocated the separation of business from government? The legislatures themselves admitted to it in a pamphlet. They stated that the General Council has passed a resolution on this very issue. Now, all these years later, bubkiss, nothing. Look to our north at the Mill Locks. Look to our east at the Polkagans. Look to the south at the Porch Creek and Seminole. Look to the west at the, the southern Ute. Those are just a quick glance. When we as a nation rely on federal, state, and local governments to fund programs for our people, that is smart, spending someone else's money for our needs. But this also puts our sovereignty into question. Creating wealth, supporting our own people. This is what a sovereign nation aspires to accomplish. We've done it this way for over 30 years, and the results are evident. To all candidates separate business and government now. Transparent, transparency in government is not just some campaign meme or theme. It is a way to govern. Our legislature constantly goes through everybody else's budgets and forces them to march in front of them and defend those budgets. When has our legislature ever put their budgets and expenditures in front of the nation for public examination? There are other things we could discuss. 
executive session uh, quickly comes to mind. But I just kind of want to focus on the uh, legislature's budget and expenditures. Transparent government would allow the nation to examine these numbers, and then we, Ho-Chunk citizens, could discuss and debate those budgets and expenditures in an open and frank manner. Every, and I do mean every other government body in this country, has disclosed all revenue and all spending. Our legislature doesn't. Why? Do all of our legislative candidates don't campaign on helping our people? Give us specifics. Campaign on transparent government and how you legislate for this and accomplish this from day one till we have transparent and open government. Campaign on separating business from government. Give us specifics on how you would legislate and accomplish this from day one until you succeed and bring this to fruition. <laughs>